Good afternoon. I'm Dr. Tanya Roberson, Director of Community Engagement, Program Development, and Academic Support at Governor State University in the College of Health and Human Services, and your host for Governor State University's Southland Health and Wellness Hour. The Southland Health and Wellness Hour is not the traditional health and wellness podcast, nor is it intended to provide medical advice. This is a community-engaged podcast for residents of South Chicago and the Chicago Southland, where individual and community stories and situations serve as a foundation for a discussion. This is where we can begin to address unanswered questions about health inequities and concerns and where we might find possible solutions to these issues. This podcast brings together community members, leaders, and organizations alongside topic experts to address social trends, a variety of health and wellness topics, and to provide community resources to improve the lives of our listeners. The guest statements are their own and do not reflect the policies or opinions of Governor State University. Thank you for joining us. We have a great topic today. Are we all in this together? The importance of participating in biomedical research. A novel phrase has emerged from the novel coronavirus pandemic. We are all in this together. But in all actuality, are we all really in this together? For African Americans, health inequities are the growing consequences of both past and present discrimination throughout U.S. culture. African Americans get sicker and die at a younger age than white Americans from preventable ailments and diseases. Although some improvements in eliminating racial health inequities have been made, there are still gaps that have not been addressed. And one gap is in biomedical research. There is a need to increase the research participation of African Americans across the age ranges. Research will help to identify the factors that influence health inequities and foster strategies to educate and develop disease preventions and interventions leading to preventive health opportunities. However, African Americans have a deep-rooted mistrust of the medical community at many levels, especially research. The racial health history of African Americans is long, complex, and is a primary barrier to participation in medical research. In January 2020, the American Medical Association acknowledged once again the 100 years that the American Medical Association actively reinforced or passively accepted racial inequalities and the exclusion of African-American physicians, adding to the impacts of segregation and racism at the roots of the black-white divide in American medicine. Today, we are still learning about COVID-19, but one thing that we do know, Blacks are dying and being affected at disproportionate rates. A report by the Center for Disease Control found that on a sample of 580 people hospitalized with confirmed cases of COVID-19, 
33% of the patients were Black, and a population sample where just 18% of the people were Black, which is only one example of why their involvement in research is so vital. By participating in research, individuals can drive research for a cure for COVID-19 and other diseases. Today, our guests will discuss the importance of biomedical research in everyone's life and how participation in clinical trials is a major component in improving medical treatments, procedures, and medicine. They are both from the University of Chicago Department of Medicine in the Institute of Population and Precision Health. The IPPH focuses heavily on community-based population health research and currently houses multiple national and regional level longitudinal research programs. Our first guest is a lead community ambassador who works in the community to identify, recruit, market, and assist participants in navigating online clinical study enrollment surveys. She is a published author working on her second book on the history of the Woodlawn community in Chicago. She has strong community ties, including being a former board member and assistant treasurer of the NAACP for many years. Welcome, Ms. Janice Knox. Our second guest is the mobile unit coordinator in the Institute of Population and Precision Health, IPPH at the University of Chicago. She is responsible for procuring, managing community relationships, and securing locations for the university's two mobile units and team to conduct site visits for completion of research study activities. Welcome, Ms. Ashley McKinney. Before we start, listeners, we want to invite you to contact us. Comment about this podcast and ask questions about biomedical research, clinical trials, precision medicine, and COVID-19. Visit the GSU podcast website, where you will find a link to drop us a line, as well as useful takeaways and community resources for the visually impaired and hard of hearing, and in English and Spanish. The website address is in the podcast description. If you need the most up-to-date and reliable source for biomedical research and clinical trials, go to the National Institute of Health, National Library of Medicine, clinicaltrials.gov. question is directed to Mitz Knox. What is the All of Us Research Program and how did it start? Uh, thank you, Dr. Robinson. Um, you know, traditionally, healthcare used to be a one-size-fit-all scenario, but we're getting into imagining where the future will be that healthcare is going to be a tailored for individuals, um, people. 
So the All of Us program that was previously called the Precision Medicine Initiative Cohort Program started under President Obama's administration in 2015. By January of 2018, the initial pilot had enrolled about 10,000 people. It is projected in the uh, years to come that our goal is to have 1 million people enrolled in all of us. The founding uh, director of all of us was Eric Dishman. Uh, Eric in 2015 has stepped down and now he's the chief innovation officer for all of us. An uh, interesting side note for Mr. Dishman, uh, he's a cancer survivor. He was treated for 23 years for cancer. And in his new role, that gives him the opportunity to engage with patients uh, and participants much closer. And it also gives him the opportunity to, to live a long life. The new director of all of us is Joshua Denny. Now, the uh, data that's collected from all of us will help researchers in uh, three ways. Uh, it'll identify what makes people more likely to develop a disease, find out how environment, lifestyle, and genes can impact health, and also help uh, build better tools for detecting a health condition and encouraging healthy habits. Uh, there are some components to the All of Us program. When you enroll, you have to complete three informed consent forms. One for the All of Us program, uh, one for access to electronic health records, and we follow the history of our participants for 10 years, and one for a gene analysis. Uh, there's three surveys that our participants will complete. One is on health history, one is on environment, and the other one is on lifestyle choices. We also collect biospecimen collections, which is blood in urine or saliva, and we do a gene analysis on those collections, as well as we take physical measurements, including height and weight. Uh, the compensation for this program for participants is $25 in cash. Participants can receive feedback from the program if they like, including the biospecimen collections, the physical measurements, and the DNA gene analysis. Currently, we have five hospitals in the Chicagoland area that are participating in all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, the University of Chicago, Northwestern University, uh, University of Illinois at Chicago, Rush, and North Shore. To join all of us, you go to the website, join all of us, that's one word, dot org. Okay, thank you. That sounds like a great project. Now, Ms. McKinney, what is precision medicine and why is this so important? Thank you. So precision medicine is a medical model that aims to customize healthcare treatments products to be tailored to the individual patient by using genetic information to create better health plans. It's important because one size does not fit all, as we know. All medications don't work the same for the entire population. Taking this into consideration, uh, the medical professionals can more effectively uh, create interventions that improve people's quality of life. Okay, all right, thank you. Now this next question is gonna be directed to both Ms. Knox and Ms. McKinney. How many people are the All of Us Research Study targeting and are there any goals set 
for the various racial groups and how many have been recruited so far? Well, I can ask the recruited so far question. Uh, as of June 2020, uh, we've recruited across the uh, nation 350,000 um, participants. Wow, okay. So we're a third yes. of the way there. Yes, and I can add to that. So particularly at within our consortium within Illinois, I, I know that's not mention the various sites that are doing enrollment. Um, we at U of C have en enrolled over 7,500 participants since 2017. Okay, that's a lot of people. And have any <laughs> um, guidelines or any goals set up for um, any particular or various racial groups? Well, uh, one thing that makes uh, all of us unique in itself is that it is focused on diversity in research. So generally we are trying to enroll populations that have been uh, not included in research historically in the past. Um, we don't have a particular number set for um, particular racial groups, but we are pushing uh, for all groups to be included. That definitely is a uh, main driver for all of us is to be as inclusive as possible. Okay, to include all of us. Okay, that's great. break with my guest, Ms. Janice Knox, a lead community ambassador at the University of Chicago in the Institute of Population and Precision Health, IPPH, and Ms. Ashley McKinney, the mobile unit coordinator in the Institute of Population and Precision Health at the University of Chicago. Okay, this next um, question I'm going to direct to Mrs. Knox. Um, research is a word that has a lot of stigmas and mistrust attached to it, especially in the minority communities. Why is it important that minorities participate in biomedical research? I think it's important because uh, that's a community that has been underserved. Uh, however, there's been a lot of mistrust of the health community. Uh, and there's two cases that I think about. The Tuskegee study that mm -hmm. ran from 1932 to 1972, where the um, men were not adequately told um, that they would be giving live syphilis um, virus. And also, mm -hmm. there was a treatment in 1947 that they could have benefited from it, and they were not told that. Also, their, their human rights was violated because they were not given a choice to withdraw from this project. Initially, the project was supposed to run for six months, but it ran for 40 years. And I'm not sure kind of what was the difference in terms of the time. The other case is a little different, but I think of the Henrietta Lacks case where mm -hmm. they use, um, uh, she was treated for a, um, a cancer, but they used her cells uh, to, uh, produce a lot of uh, medicines going forward. 
uh, she was not necessarily harmed, but I think her family legacy was harmed because people made a lot of money off the use of her cells without her permission, and her family did not benefit from the compensation. So I think that there's just a lot of basic mistrust in the uh, African-American community. Um, I also hear that People are afraid when we say that we're going to take uh, blood and urine. They think mm -hmm. that we're, che you know, checking for drugs and that we're going to report them to policemen. Um, they feel that African Americans are go not going to benefit from the program and they're going to just be used as guinea pigs. So I think that mistrust, you know, some of the deception that's happened in the past is hurting us today. Okay. And do you think a lot of African-Americans know about that um, historical um, research that was done on um, those individuals that you just mentioned for Tuskegee and the Henrietta Lacks? And do you hear any comments like those in the community when you're trying to um, get samples or do research with people for the All of Us study? Oh, definitely. You know, I think because of the media, people have started to hear about those cases as well as other cases. And I guess part of the feeling is they just feel that we're going to be used as guinea pigs, but we're really not going to benefit from it. You know, you know, someone else is going to benefit from, you know, the work that we're going to put into this project. So we hear that a lot. And again, it's just the mistrust. You know, yeah. some of the people that we do see don't have access to health care. So they are a little intimidated initially. And we do have to let them know we're not treating. This is not a preventive. We are just doing research. So we do have to kind of tackle that issue and let them know that this is strictly for research. We're not going to contact your doctor. We're not going to contact the local authorities. We're not going to contact your job. And so we have to get past that fear of the medical system. Yes, because it's needed. Okay, thank you, Ms. Knox. Um, Ms. McKinney, why do you feel it is important that people in the minority communities participate in research, and what are some of the stigmas associated with research? So thank you for asking that. So um, kind of piggybacking off of what Ms. Ms. Knox already mentioned about fears, justifiable fears um, related to uh, past injustices concerns about being treated like a guinea pig. Um, she mentioned the Tuskegee syphilis study, as well as the Henry, Henrietta Lacks um, and what happened with her uh, HeLa cells. And so um, providing appropriate education um, and also consent, informed consent is very important. I wanted to kind of add a little piece to the, to the Tuskegee syphilis study. Um, and uh, when it wrapped up in 1972, some uh, assurance, some steps were put in place to assure that uh, those um, injustices did not repeat themselves. So um, there was a report that came out at that time called the Belmont Report. Mm -hmm. um, and that really emphasized the um, ethical principles that needed to be put in place when guiding human subject research. And they had three um, major uh, principles that came from that. So one, including respect of person, um, beneficence, which meant that researchers need to maximize the uh, potential benefits of participating in a study, as well as minimizing potential harm, as well as justice. So all persons should be treated equally and 
uh, the selection of research subjects should be scrutinized so that no one is systematically selected on the basis of race, ethnicity, class, or other factors. So um, kind of having that information um, in mind and um, sharing that with people uh, that, that those past you know, things would not resurface. There have been measures put in place to protect that from happening, prevent that from happening um, is really important. Um, but also just so that, again, medications and, and therapies that are out there work more effectively for a particular population, you know, we need to be represented. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Now, Ms. Knox and Ms. McKinney, what do you feel are some of the barriers preventing people to participate in biomedical research? I know you named a few, but are there any more that you think of, Ms. Knox? I think accessibility is a key one. Um, I think that, uh, and that's why I think the University of Chicago has gone, um, done an omens job to go out to the community because I think that a number of people aren't close enough to hospitals that they feel comfortable in going to. So we go out to the community, to the various communities. So accessibility is a big barrier in terms of people just not aware of mm -hmm. clinical trials and they're not even aware how to get to participate in clinical trials. Right. Okay. Um, Ms. McKinney, anything you would like to add? Um, I, I think that we pretty much touched on this, the main things, like you mentioned, accessibility um, and dispelling uh, the you know, uh, misconceptions and also uh, concerns that people have previously had about um, past wrongs done against Black. So mm -hmm. I have nothing else to add. <laughs> During the past five months, there has been a lot of talk about the race to find a vaccine for the COVID-19 virus sooner rather than later. According to the National Institute of Health, NIH, COVID-19 is an emerging, rapidly evolving situation. It is my understanding that the University of Chicago has started a COVID-19 vaccine and prevention research trial where participants can join the registry. Ms. McKinney, what is the COVID-19 vaccine trial and how can our listeners participate in this medical research study? Um, can you please explain a little more in detail? Yes, ma'am. So thank you. So yes, we have been given the opportunity to enroll participants in a vaccine trial to test the safety and successfulness of a drug um, for the prevention of COVID-19 in adults 18 years of age and older. Um, this particular trial is enrolling 60,000 participants worldwide. Of that number, the University of Chicago is aiming to enroll 2,000 people. Uh, it's imperative that we do enroll persons of color, particularly African-Americans. Mm -hmm. um, as we know, we've been disproportionately impacted by the virus for various reasons. Many of us are frontline workers and um, have been working in the field um, since the beginning of the, the wide, let's, the wide um, spread of the virus and so are at a greater risk than others may be. Um, so having our involvement is is paramount um, to see whether or not uh, the vaccine will work for us. Um, this is a randomized double-blinded trial. It's completely voluntary. Um, so by randomized, um, neither the participant nor the, uh, the study team will know who's getting the actual vaccine or who's getting of the placebo. So that's no 
uh, medication levels and um, yeah. <laughs> and I also wanted to note um, that this will be a phase three trial. So there are three phases. Um, I know that some people have been, you know, there's been a lot of talk like in the media, like about people having concerns about being the first one, being a part of the first group, and that would not be the case. Okay. Phase three means that there's already been testing from uh, a smaller subset of people in phases one and two, and it's been found that the treatment has been safe in the smaller uh, groups. And so now we're moving to phase three to see how it will work in a larger, with a larger volume of the population to determine if there are any side effects that um, a particular group may be more likely to develop with that particular vaccine. So again, this is why it's so important for our people to be represented within the, um, within the trial, within research. Okay, good. And for any of our listeners that's interested in participating in this medical research study, how can they participate? Okay, so yes. So they would actually be able to go to our research registry. It is covidvaccinestudies.uchicago.edu. So that's all one word, covidvaccinestudies.uchicago.edu. Okay. All right, thank you, Ms. McKinney. And um, now, Ms. Knox, what is the research registry and how will the information collected be used? Thank you, Dr. Robinson. As uh, Ms. McKinney mentioned, uh, the uh, registry um, is covidvaccinestudies.uchicago.edu. And on that registry, uh, there's a brief survey that's used to collect contact information, uh, medical history, work environment and social interaction information. Mm -hmm. um, and people to participate even on the registry, and the registry is not gonna be just used for the COVID-19 uh, clinical trial, but any other upcoming trials that the University of Chicago will be participating in. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to be 18 years of old or older. Uh, you cannot have an active diagnosis of COVID-19 at the time that you register. Um, uh, you have to be willing to participate in a study for up to two years. Um, mm. That uh, participation would include um, uh, doctor visits uh, for uh, check-ins and status checks, and that will go for a two-year period. One of the good things about it, though, uh, we through the register, we ask people, do you want to come down to our hospital in Hyde Park? Or mm. if you like, we have two mobile units we will send our mobile unit to your neighborhood. So you don't have to tra you know, travel to High Park. We will come where you live or where you work. Um, participants also will have to have the ability to download and access uh, daily entries. And we ask all that information just on the registry. The registry information is used to match the participant to a given trial, and then they will be contacted. If they're contacted, they have the right to say, oh, I'm not interested, or then they will proceed if they decide that they want to participate in a particular trial. If they agree to participate in a particular trial, there would be some compensation based on that particular clinical trial. That's great. And you talk about meeting people where they are because a lot of individuals don't have access to a vehicle. So for you all to be able to offer the mobile units to go to where they are is excellent. 
Okay. Um, this next question will be for Ms. Knox and Ms. McKinney. What advice would you give to the community who have concerns about participating in biomedical research and would like to assist in finding a vaccine so the world can resume their normal activities? We'll start with Ms. McKinney. Okay, so I think that the the answer is kind of a little bit within the question. So if you do want the world to resume to some sense of normalcy, <laughs> then, then we do have to be proactive um, and work at doing our part to assist in the development of a vaccine that works for um, us. Um, and our representation is vital to ensure that um, the treatments are available um, to the public um, and that it actually works effectively for us. Ms. Knox, would you like to add anything to that question? Yes, I'd like to add that they should thoroughly read the informed consent form okay. and also discuss that with their family and close friends because when you participate in a trial, you do impact your family and close friends and certainly ask questions, especially on those areas that you don't understand. I think that's very key that before a person participates in a clinical trial, they should thoroughly understand what they're getting into. Okay, and all of that information is found in the consent, correct? Correct, yeah. Okay, good. We want to invite you to leave comments and ask questions about biomedical research and clinical trials. Visit the GSU podcast website where you will find a link to drop us a line, as well as useful takeaways and community resources for visually impaired and hard of hearing and in English and Spanish. If you need the most up-to-date and reliable source for biomedical research and clinical trials, go to the National Institutes of Health, National Library of Medicine, clinicaltrials.gov. I'm Dr. Tanya Roberson, and this is the Southland Health and Wellness Hour. And if you are just joining us, our guests today are Ms. Janice Knox, a lead community ambassador at the University of Chicago Department of Medicine in the Institute of Population and Precision Health IPPH. And Ms. Ashley McKinney is the mobile unit coordinator in the Institute of Population and Precision Health at the University of Chicago. As the Director of Community Engagement in the College of Health and Human Services, my role is to meet people where they are and to help to address some of the needs of community members in Southland Chicago and connect them with community resources or programs. We developed a short survey that we conduct when we're in the community doing community outreach, and we call it, We Want to Hear From You, which asks community members what they want to learn more about or need. Here's a suggestion from a survey we took in Madison, Illinois on August the 29th. Our respondent is actually state representative from Madison, Illinois, the 38th district, Debbie Myers Martin, who made the following statement. We must educate the community about the value and safety of clinical trials for COVID-19 vaccine utilizing a video to demonstrate the ease of these trials. 
This question is directed to both Ms. McKinney and Ms. Knox. What are your thoughts about this statement? And do you think that more education is needed? Um, Ms. McKinney, can you start? Yes, um, I definitely completely agree. Um, education is always, um, the more education is always valuable. Uh, the more that you have, if, the more information you have, the more equipped you can be to make informed decisions about um, your health. Videos are always helpful. They can be easier and more in a more concise way to present a message to people. So I agree completely. Okay, great. And Ms. Knox, is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, I also agree. I think one of the um, interesting facts about the All of Us, we utilize about a dozen short videos to present the program to our participant, and then we have little short quizzes just to make, under, make sure they understand the material that we're presenting. And those videos have gone a long way to provide some very conflict, complex information, but in a more simplified form. So I think that that's, the use of videos and education is paramount to the success. Okay, and you do see like from the reactions from your participants that they have gained knowledge from using those videos? Absolutely, yes. And the videos are, are fairly entertaining too. Uh, so they're taking a subject that may on the surface seem a little dry, but they do it in a very entertaining uh, manner. And, and, and they're short, you know, two or three minutes at a time. Okay, good, so they can keep their attention. Right. Okay, that's very good. In a speech to the Medical Committee for Human Rights in 1966, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. Ms. Knox, what last words or comments would you leave with the community to assist them in considering participating in biomedical research in order to impact health inequities and injustices? Um, I think that one of the things I would uh, advise people to do is do your research. There are a number of sites online that you can look at various clinical trials. Um, of course, the University of Chicago Registry that we've talked about. There's a, a government site called clinicaltrials.gov. Uh, the National Institute of Health also has an online database for clinical research. And then there's a national registry of research volunteers that's called researchmatch.org. So I would encourage people to take the time to investigate the various clinical trials. There are, of course, the COVID-19 is a very ongoing active trial, but there are people that may not be interested in participating in that. There are thousands of other clinical trials out there that they may like to participate. So their participation in any, any clinical trial will help everyone in this world. Okay, great. Thank you for that. And Ms. McKinney, do you have any last words or comments that you want to leave with the community? Um, yeah, I'd just like to um, add something actually that one of my colleagues had said a while ago that always just kind of resonates with me, which is be the change that you want to see. Okay. Um, so we know that research data points to the fact that Blacks are dying at a higher rate from various um, diseases, um, higher than there was 
counterparts. And if we want to change this reality, we need to have a seat at the table and be uh, more involved in research opportunities. Um, this way we can help researchers find ways to gain knowledge um, about these disparities, um, create better treatments for us, and thus give us the, the knowledge and tools to make uh, more informed decisions about our health. Thank you for listening to our third episode of the Southland Health and Wellness Hour. I want to thank Ms. Janice Knox and Ms. Ashley McKinney from the University of Chicago Institute of Population and Precision Health. We will be back in two weeks. Listeners, we want to hear from you. If you have been influenced by our podcast, please go to our site and send us an email. The link is available in the podcast description. This podcast is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences in partnership with the College of Health and Human Services at Governor State University. The show was produced by Tanya Roberson and Deborah James, coordinating producer Rhonda Jackson, senior consulting journalist Randa Wiseman, Music by Charles Dumaser, professionally known as C-Sick. Special thanks to Digital Learning and Media Design for sponsoring the following production expertise. Director, John Tullis. Student producer and editor, Zamar Tompkins. Engineer, Heather Penn. Graphics, Amanda Martinez.